Did you ever think you would make it? I feel I'm so close I could take sweet victory. I know this life meant for me. Yeah, why would you bet on Goliath when we got bet David? Value taming, giving values contagious. This world of entrepreneurs, we get no value to hate it. How they run, homie, look what I become. I'm the, I'm the one. Okay, all rise. Perfect, fantastic. Uh, yeah, yes, we, have, we, have the, we have the honorable <laughs> Judge yeah. Joe Brown Damn. in the house. By the way, I just want to make. <laughs> we give respect. I want to make one thing very clear. Today's podcast is probably not going to be for those of you that are uh, extremely sensitive. You may want to skip today's and go watch something else. Go listen to a nice song because this man. Uh, doesn't have a filter, especially where he's at right now. He's willing to talk about it. He seems to be willing to talk about anything and doesn't hold back when he's given it. So let me properly introduce to him to you his bio. So he, he is professionally known as Judge Joe Brown, American lawyer and television personality. Served as a judge on Shelby County, Tennessee Criminal Court from 1990 to 98. He's also known for hosting the arbitration-based reality court show called Judge Joe Brown from 98 to 2013. If you've been on YouTube, you just Google his name. There's plenty of videos with 10, 20, 30 million views. And trust me, you've seen it as a judge. Brown was known for his tough but fair approach to justice, and he was often praised for his ability to connect with the people who appeared on his show. He was also a popular figure among viewers, and his show was consistently one of the highest-rated daytime television programming. Brown has received several awards for his work, including the NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Legal Civil Rights Program 1999, 2001-02, and the People's Choice Award for the Favorite Daytime Talk Show Host 02. He's also nominated for a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Talk Show 2000, 2001, and 2002. He ran. He ran as a Democratic primary. What was it? Uh, uh, won the Democratic primary for the position of Shelby County District Attorney in 2014. And there's some very interesting political opinions there, but outside of being a lawyer and a judge, he's also a poet. And, and, uh, and, and one, of, one of the ones I want to read, yeah, this, this right. is just this is this is this is pure poetry, guys. You know, you're a scientist when you start the, the poem with DNA. The best DNA. Don't tell no lies about what's in between your thighs. <laughs> The one and only oh, yeah. Judge Joe Brown. How you doing? Yeah, there you go. All right. Judge is in the house, I guess. But, <laughs> hell, I retired from that. So, you know, well, uh, actually, you had to add two more years on that being on the real criminal bench. I had two years overlapping a lot of Did I miss it? Was it 2015 time. or 20? Uh, 20, 2000 when I went I got off. you. Okay. Got, I got and you. And I'm an independent now. I can't stand the Democratic Party. Really? Today. What happened? What, cha- what uh, caused you to uh, change? They decided to be anti-family and anti-man, and I don't buy into that. Has it always been like that? No, it wasn't. Uh, Something happened. They kind of got stuck over there in that far left corner someplace, and they forgot about the working people in this country. When do you think that happened, Judge? Uh, Because you ran as a Democrat. I did. It bothers me. Somewhere in the last 55 years, what's happened is the country has switched over into glorifying what I call dysfunction. And at some point, it's just enough is enough. You've got a thing right now where they're trying to groom children in school. They're trying to install a secular religion as the official religion of the country. People don't have any cause, any purpose anymore. So 
they want to give them one, but in this one it says you have no duty, honor, obligation, responsibility, accountability, be what the hell you want to be. Just get your freak on and there you go. But that's not sufficient to keep people working. Now, when you say 55 years, is it probably closer to the last 15 years that it's been No, really, it's really been working. See, I, I remember the class UCLA 1969, and I remember what was being said back then when people said we hate men hmm. for one reason or another and men are the cause of war, so we're going to ruin this thing for the men and get rid of masculinity and... You had this problem with Hollywood when it was going broke in the face of color television, and you switched from two movies every Thursday and Sunday every week of the year, and Hollywood was going broke. So they said, let's ramp the fee up from 50 cents to a buck and a half, and we will have one movie that stays in as long as we can, so let's attract the most people by going to the lowest common denominator promoting this function ridiculousness and meanwhile we can propagandize the country to get rid of manhood and that basically is what's been happening and, and by the way th these are some of the topics i've got that i want to talk about today one is family feminism manhood politics over the last 50 60 years fatherless homes statistics i have on how many single mothers we used to have in the 40s versus 60s today LBJ's policies in 1965. Maybe you have some thoughts on that, on what changed oh, when he yeah. came out with that. Um, that and then we got destruction of the black family, masculinity, LGBTQ, and a few other things. War on drugs, a little bit of that with Nixon. Was that a good thing? Did they choose the right enemy? Michelle Obama, Kamala Harris, Trump, Biden, and uh, maybe a little bit of San Francisco cleaning up the streets this quickly. There's, they got this new technology called G. <laughs> G shows up. Streets of uh, San Francisco clean up very quickly. So let's go. To the direction you were going, okay, the direction you're going on what's changed, you said, not, he said 15 years, he said, no, not necessarily, it's more like 50 years, right? 55. Was it 55 years? Judge, is it, is it more policies? Was it more with a intent? What was the intent? Was the intent because they were trying to please everybody? Was the intent because malicious reasons? Was the intent political? What was the reasons why we've gone through the transitions we've gone through the last 55 years. Okay, the Johnson administration came up with a safety net. They had good intentions, but people are enterprising, so when they saw the opportunities that were presented, they went for them. And instead of having a safety net that dealt with rescuing people from an untenable situation due to the economics that they found themselves faced with, you got people that said, well, instead of using this to help me with my babies, I use babies to get that so I can help myself. So you have multi-generational situations. And even back in the late 90s, I had people in my courtroom where there were six generations where nobody had had a job ever. I had one woman in my courtroom starting in 1994 she had felony drug and theft charges. She was 57. She had a 43-year-old daughter that was in front of me that she had when she was 14. 43-year-old daughter had the same charges. The 43-year-old daughter had a 40 had a 34-year-old daughter born one week shy of her 10th birthday who was in there. The 34-year-old had a 21-year-old daughter in front of me. The 21-year-old da uh, daughter 
had an 11-year-old daughter. Please don't go lower, Who Josh. had the circumstance of being pregnant with a second child. No way. With her so, second child? Second child. An 11-year-old, sir? Uh, yeah. So Jesus I got Christ. the 21-year-old back in about 14, 15 months. She was 23. Her 11-year-old was 13 with three children. The 57-year-old was back in front of me. She was 59, and she had, at that point, 342 lineal descendants we tracked. And then two weeks later, after I got that report, she had 358. And between 1996 and 2000, when I retired, exponential increase, she had more than 3,400, and I had 120-plus of her people in front of me in my courtroom one way or another. One of her sons had... 63 outside children by, I think, 59 different baby mamas, and he was 29. 63, 59, he's 29. Yeah. Jeez. So, I mean, people don't even think about this kind of thing. And then we did another study. We found in the high schools uh, in the Memphis area there were maybe 35 or 40 core problems where the students were much older than they were supposed to be, and they were creating a negative culture for the whole high school. And we found out that this woman that I had in my courtroom and four others, every single one of the five that they had in there uh, that we were tracking was an ancestor for every single one of the kids in the high schools that were the core of the problem. So just total dysfunction. And the last we checked was 2008. It turned out these five women had almost a quarter of a million people in West Tennessee that were descended of them, and they were still breathing. Safe to say that they've never even heard of the word condom, uh, is what you're saying. Yeah, not only that, <laughs> but in this group, 3,400 that I wound up dealing with before I retired in 2000, out of this family, we found two people that had had jobs and graduated <laughs> from high school, and they were girls who had essentially been kidnapped by their fathers when their mothers went to the penitentiary mm. and got taken to Chicago, which then had a pretty good school system. So those were the only two we could find. But, see, there's a mass of that out there. So when you talk about the impact of what happened with the Johnson administration, I don't think they intended that, but it happened. Next mm. thing we had in the late 60s, we had the individuals that hated that they weren't Men, that's the feminists, the ones that hated men, certain of the lesbians, the one that hated that they weren't strong men, those were the beta boys, some of the gay ones that hated that they weren't normal men, and then you had the ones that stacked on and gave the big ballast that said men were the cause of war, man, we need to have love, man, that war, war is a bad thing, man. <laughs> we need to get rid of all of this toxic masculinity like fool. Where do you think this is going to go? So it went there, and they controlled the communications media, and you get what you get right now where if you go on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, you get this mass censorship where you can't say anything that makes people feel uncomfortable. Oh, my God, he hurts somebody's feelings. Oh, hell, a lot of people need the feelings stomped on, you know. <laughs> 
Like, dude, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Come get, grow stronger. Uh, but, but the judge, you, you've been you've been around when you're doing w- a meeting with all these families. Wh- what part of the responsibility is mothers? What part of the responsibility is on the father? Because typically the blame goes on the father. Well, there are no fathers. And see, the thing of it is, these men that just ran off and left the women, these women don't want the men. All they wanted was the babies. And see, you had people like the poetress Nikki Giovanni back in the 60s were going all around the country and they were lecturing the women and they were young women and they were saying, you don't need a father for your children. Just get prego, find one that looks good, smart, athletic. Yeah, that one. And uh, don't even tell him that he's the daddy because if you bring a man into the picture, they screw up everything. So there was this point where if you had the guy around, there was a problem. And then there were some that did want the guy around, but back when I first started practicing law 50 years ago, one of our number one cases was getting the check cut back on because some ding bad social worker would sit at the end of the block with binoculars, and if there was one or two of the six or seven baby daddies trying to play father, they'd cut the check off. So we had problems with juvenile courts around the country where, Judge, that's not my kid. Well, you feed it long enough, uh, he'll look just like you. So, (laughs) you know, that was before DNA. And I can remember one thing. It was a cop I was representing, and he got a petition to increase the child support. So when they called the kid's name, I stood up, he stood up. Two more lawyers stood up and two other guys stood up. So this woman was collecting child support from three guys for the same kids. So we finagled getting some DNA testing and none of the three were the daddies. No way. So, I mean, you have these horror stories going on. That's some old school, Jerry. Sir, was this mostly whites, blacks, Latinos? Both. All of the above. All of the above. The juvenile court, see, started privatizing and acquiring jurisdiction that used to be in superior or circuit courts. So uh, they became dysfunctional circuses, and a lot of them privatized. And what happens is you want to promote dysfunction because that's business downstream. Now, you know, if you, if you, if you tell this to uh, media, won't talk about what you're talking about right now, but people will say that's because of systemic racism. That's, that's because all of that's been the reason why we are where we are right now, Judge, because you're, being, uh, you're not being compassionate to see the pain and the suffering and the challenges black America's experienced. It's because of the systemic racism that we have. What would okay, you say? Okay, yeah, get over it. In <laughs> other words, buck it up. You know, it's adversity. The world's got adversity. It always has. If it's not a tiger or a lion trying to eat you, it's this. So face it. Become prepared to deal with it. Stop looking for excuses. Even if there are some, don't take them. Just say it's something to go conquer. I did something. Now, one thing I will say about this, they have a habit in this country of using black people as guinea pigs. So there is this anti-masculine movement, and back in the 60s, they perceived black men to be the most overtly masculine. So let's attack them first if we destroy them and put them in their place, and black women know how to do this well already. Then we can make this move up 
and then we can do stuff at the top that'll filter down with the propaganda so you unman the country. Meanwhile, the People's Republic of China in January 2021 put an official man-up campaign in place, and so did Russia some years before. Now, I will say this. My former in-laws, or rather my former daughter-in-law, was a born-in-Russian-Russian, but she was in the U.S. Navy as a translator, so she was naturalized. Now, if you get what Putin is saying over there to justify Ukraine, it's the following. One, the tamp-down resurgent Nazism because it was rampant in Ukraine. Two, to do something about the sex trafficking that's going on over there. There's overt sex slavery, in fact. And three, to save the country from imposing the LGBTQIA plus cult on the rest of the world. Now, I was surprised. Um, I do this X space now, used to be Twitter, and I thought, I was getting trolled by some gays that were calling in, but I was surprised to find that they were very much opposed to LGBTQIA as a cult. Like somebody said, well, you can be Islamic, but that doesn't mean you support ISIS or Al-Qaeda, or you can be Christian, that doesn't mean you supported Reverend Jim Jones and drinking Kool-Aid at large church picnics in Guyana, you know, so it's like a lot of them have bad memories about this exposure to pedophilia and they don't like grooming and a lot of folk are decent to say you should not deal with children and sex in the same phrase, the same paragraph. So we've got these things and you have to understand what we're facing from the way Putin explains it is it's like a religion. Now, to understand that, think of Buddhism. It's an old, ancient, honorable religion, but there's no deity. But it's a system of philosophy. So what you run into with LGBTQIA+, et cetera, et cetera, is a system of philosophy that is being imposed rapidly by the government. It's being crammed down the throats of the kids and the people. Uh, you can't put a Christian cross under an American flag on a government building. You can't put the crescent, the Jewish star, uh, a Hindu symbol or Buddha or whatever it may be, but you can put a rainbow flag and you can paint the sidewalks in D.C. rainbow colors and you can have a government building with a banner rainbow hanging down 11 floors. You see, in other words, the government itself is imposing a religion that it's not giving the citizenry a choice as to whether to follow or not. And as far as the grooming of the children concerns, well, some of us remember uh, if you don't go to church on Sunday, you can't go anywhere else the rest of the week. Well, mama may have taken you to church, mosque, temple, synagogue, whatever it may be, and you fell asleep after 45 minutes or whatever it is, but now from kindergarten on, you sit there for six hours a day and the teacher with jangles around her wrist and the itsy-bitsy spider and all of that, and then they've got a rainbow flag on the wall, and they're teaching this to the kids six hours a day. So 
I know I can remember stuff that I learned when I was in the second grade. Occasionally, it'll flash in the back of my head, so I can just wonder what some of these kids are going to be thinking in 70 years, uh, whatever. It's I don't like the picture because I don't care what somebody does in their own bedroom. Get your freak on. <laughs> That's your business. I mean, do it as long as you're not sending somebody to the hospital. But <laughs> Yes, sir. It's keeping in the damn bedroom when somebody starts trying to bust down your living room door and say, I'm coming in here with this. No, uh, 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 no. And then the other thing is, is we have to deal with manhood and rationality, reason, critical thinking, objectivity, and getting away from emotionalism. Um, when I was on the bench toward the last few years, why'd you do this, young man? I was emotional. Would you please give the court a reason for why you did this? Okay, you were emotional, but what was your reason? You're asking the court not to send you to jail and put you on probation. But I was emotional. What? You know, you started getting this kind of nonsense where it becomes uh, a thing where the population has been propagandized into dysfunction. I mean, it's like... See, if you're going to have a healthy community, you have to have a balance between what the individual does and what the individual obligates himself to when it comes to the whole community. Um, duty, honor, obligation, responsibility, accountability, duty devolving into courage and elevating itself into bravery so that what you are about is making where you live a better, safer, more secure place filled with economic prosperity, opportunity, all kinds of things, public peace, dignity, and order, where you are a man of public peace who can be brave and courageous when necessary. When the Titanic goes down, you say, ma'am, you and your child have my seat, I'll drown with the boat. But nowadays, some little fluffy comes in here with a dress. He wants to sit down and say, oh, hell no. Get your ass up. I'm going to throw you over there. And <laughs> let's chum the sharks, which you make everybody else safe. You know, I mean, really, uh, it is not all right to be a coward. Uh, we used to hunt is our number one first profession. And if you're going to do that, you have to have somebody watching your back, your sick, so that people would be willing to put it on the line for each other. That's bravery and courage. And now they want to say, whoa, that's okay, forget it. It's okay to be a coward. I even ran into something at one library I just stumbled into. I walked in, and they were conducting a class with some kids about uh, anti-hero. You don't want to be a hero. Being a hero is bad. Like, where the hell did these fools come from? Hey, Judge, can I ask you a question? So, Go ahead. What, 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 I want to know what is their reason, especially if the government's involved. And I, and I saw what you talked about, but right. the, the flag in front of the White House and stuff. What is their goal for demasculizing us? Why, is, why are they pushing this, this call? Why is everything, you know, everything is LGBTQ and they're a small, small, little minority group, but they are protected by the government? Like, what, what is their end game? It's a religion, just like Buddhism. It has no God, but. Buddhism 
deals with the positive aspects of character. But you see, when you confront somebody with, hey, you can't do that. You got to get up and be up front. You got to put it on the line. Uh, oh, my God, I might get hurt. Yeah, that's the name of the game. <laughs> Uh, oh, a great hero. He just sank a three-pointer with four seconds left in the game, and the Lakers win by one point. Oh, come on. That's not being a hero. That's what we think of it now. You didn't put anything on the line. You got paid lots of money for doing what a lot of people do for recreation and exercise. So what is this where we de-emphasize those things that have kept us together, that have pushed the frontiers? You see, that's not going away. The sea levels are rising, some say, though I went out here and I noticed it in certain places in Miami. It's not where it was 35 years ago. It's a little higher, so something's going on. I've noticed I used to have a place up in Aspen for about 10, 15 years, and I noticed that the snow level is dropping down. In fact, a few years ago, I put a marker on a ski lift uh, pylon, and it kept inching down foot by foot quite a few feet over the years. So something's going wrong, and the world is getting more populated, and resources are getting sparse, and this thing about manhood is going to become very valuable once again. So what are you supposed to do with all of that when you've been training the boys to get away from it? Because you see, getting up and giving up your seat on the Titanic takes a lot of conditioning from cradles to whenever you happen to be found in that situation. So you're not going to suddenly put that in. Oh, man, I'm not getting up out of my seat. You can go do it. You're equal. Go swim with the fish. I got my seat. You know, that doesn't work. Sir, one, one follow-up to Vinny's question over there. By the way, you're on fire right now. Please continue what you're doing. Everyone, I'm loving this right well, now. Well, I was holding back. No. <laughs> if this is holding back, then uh, well, we're gonna continue, sir. Um, the anti-hero, the, the metaphor to that. What would you say is a modern American hero? I like what you said about basketball. They're getting paid tens of millions of dollars to sink a ball. What's a real American hero today? The only one I can see is Donald Trump or your governor here in Florida, you have people that make stands, but they want to make them boogeymen and enemies. And that's the other thing. Find a boogeyman, the Baba Yaga, so you can go after him rather than expose the platform that you have as being weak. Um, the Democratic Party used to be the one that protected the worker. Now they're in the back pocket for high finance. You've got a weird situation with the interwoven family setups, even the stuff that's not uh, obvious. There's a gentleman by the name of Sam Hinckley. Sam Hinckley was an indentured servant. He was a Huguenot Frenchman who wanted to get away from Catholic persecution, so he indentured himself, came over to the Americas. Well, he seems to have prospered, and he had seven U.S. presidents that are his direct lineal descendants, one vice president, and a whole bunch of billionaires. The most recent you can think of is George Herbert Walker Bush, George Walker Bush, Barry Sotoro slash Barack Obama, and Dick Cheney. They're all cousins. 
What? So, yes. Yeah. So it's Pull up this interesting guy, when you look at that uh, Sam Hinckley, late of Cake Picard. It's been a while back. He was one of those people that three-fifths of the number of which in Article One were to be counted toward uh, portioning representation in the House. Part of the three-fifths compromise? Yes. So some people think they call black folk three-fifths of a human, but they don't even mention color in the Constitution. It just says for purposes of apportionment, Three-fifths of all people in slavery or involuntary servitude shall be counted toward that number. Now, that's what they're doing to a great extent with the illegal immigrants. The last census we had in 2020 is the first of the five that I participated in as an adult where they did not ask you your citizenship. The other ones, they asked not only were you citizens, they wanted to know if your parents were and how they became citizens. The reason they aren't interested is because if you don't get to ask that, then you get to count them in the overall tally. So when it comes time to apportion congressmen or members of the House, California, New York, uh, Illinois, and a few places don't lose representation. They gain it because they get counted, but they can't vote. So that allows the far left to impose their programs based on numbers of people that are not being allowed to vote. Though New York, for example, is trying to allow illegals to vote in local elections. And you'll see the result of it very shortly when you go through an airport. You'll have to have that star in the upper corner of your driver's license to indicate that there was a check to see that you, in fact, were a citizen or what your status was because California, a bunch of idiots out there, said, uh, we'll give it to the illegals because we want to make sure they can pass a driving test. So forget about what you do for the rest of the country where nobody's ID is going to be valid unless they re get a reissued one. But you see, that's that balance individual versus what the individual owes to the collective. So the devil with the collective, that's the bad part of it these days. Tom, yep. you know, by the way, thank you for that. I've been listening to this, and you're on fire. You may not, you say, I'm just getting warmed up. You're absolutely on fire. You said something, and I want to know if you saw it, because you are so perceptive, and you're so precise in what you're talking about here. In So you were at UCLA 1968-69. 65 through 73. Got it. Well, in 1969, we know what happened there. It was the summer of love. And you had the Vietnam War protest against Johnson. Uh, Johnson's not going to run again. And women's lib blew up. And all that happened, if there was a place where rebelling against society started in the U.S., then Berkeley was the Wuhan lab in 1969. <laughs> Berkeley was crazy. Did you see it? You were there in the yeah. middle of it. And you're a young guy getting a, a high education. You're going to go into law. What did you see well, I didn't want to go into law. I wanted to go into physics. 
Okay. Well, still, you're an incredibly smart guy and perceptive. What did you see at that time that you said, wow, if this keeps up, we're in trouble? Or if this I, keeps I up, did you see some tipping points? I didn't think we were going to be in trouble because it took a spin that I had not anticipated. And I only vaguely recognized at the time, and that's what Hollywood did with it. Because they had an agenda they were trying to push, and they took advantage of circumstances and did it. Now, what went on is we had civil rights, but civil rights got people used to the idea of large groups of people coming out and doing stuff. Before that, when you got large groups out, typically it had something to do with a union matter or employment or something like sure. that. Workers of the World Unite. Yes, and all of that. And you had these kinds of things, but you had it glamorized and you had it covered in real time by television, which was not what you had before. So the idea of a bunch of people being out somewhere carrying on because they didn't like something was publicized and put in the heads of just about everybody. So that set the stage for large-scale protest, anti-war protest and such like, because the NAM was a very unpopular war. Now, people look at stuff like the January 6th thing, where 180 people permitted what 50 years ago would have been such a small blip, nobody would have paid attention to it. Uh, you had situations in D.C. 50 years ago all around the country where you got 15, 20, 30, 40,000 people breaking stuff up. You had the uprisings in the large cities where disenchanted people burnt the place down. I remember 65 August standing on a low-rise hill in Los Angeles and I pivoted 360 and you couldn't see the sun because the smoke was so thick. It looked like being in a war this zone. This was the original Watts riots? Right. And that kind of thing is something that today's people don't get. What they call a protest was just people got bored and came out and didn't have anything else to do with trying to get laid, you know. But nowadays, um, it's a sense of proportion. Uh, we lost maybe somewhere around 5,000 folk over in the sand pile over a 20-some year period. I hate it. But that used to be a weekly tally back in the 60s. See, everybody in America knew somebody that was dead from the NOM. Mm -hmm. uh, and we had people around that were vigorous, young, and they had been in Korea, and some people that were not even getting too gray had been in World War II, and then the gray-haired folk had been in World War One. So there was a great deal of difference about what folk felt they were entitled to then, and then you were feeling entitled to the opportunity to 
do for yourself. Now people have this idea that the entitlement is somebody doing it for you. Cradle to grave, uh, remaining in the cradle. You make a great point about demonstrations. I mean, you compare January 6th to Kent State. Kent State demonstrations got so bad and so rowdy, they called the National Guard, shot four unarmed students, and broke it up. I mean, they shot more than four unarmed students, but that's how many died. Yeah. And you look at January 6th and you look at the 60s, you look at 1968 after in, in Detroit, you know, the conventions on the inside and there's a mass demonstration, extremely violent on the outside. And it's not people without opinion, but it was so different. Yeah. Uh, you got 28,000 people involved in that thing in Chicago in 1968 with the Democratic Convention. Uh, I remember at UCLA where we had a student population, 60, 65,000 full-time students, and there were some occasions when LAPD swept through there, and there were just continuous riots going on over hours in this complex with 60-some thousand people being there. So what people call a big upset now, we just looked at all. What else is new? What happened in the news, you know? Well, that is, I mean, really, what happened was interesting. Sir, you, you said to yourself that you describe yourself as a registered independent. You sound very much like a Republican. Well, Why yeah, won't you just say that reason, you're a Republican? The reason I'm going to say I'm a Republican is because I'm dissatisfied with them. They've gotten so far deep into this thing where they want to be old-timey, they are not taking the opportunity to go and reach out to the working man like they ought to. They are getting too much into trying to hang on to Mitt Romney. I used to call him Mick Romney. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The rhinos you're talking about, not the MAGA class. Yeah, and they need to go about the business of saying, hey, Stop trying to be nice, damn it. The public doesn't want everybody to be nice. That's just what you hear. See, you've got a cadre, the trans population, which is less than a half percent nationally, the lesbian population, which is less than one percent nationally, the gay population, which is less than one and a half percent nationally and about four to four and a half percent to dabble both ways that puts the ballast in that's maybe six and a half seven percent seven and a half depending upon where you are but walt disney the news media they want to make you think that 60 percent of the country is that way and they propagandize people so that if it makes someone feel uncomfortable or if it doesn't deal with the popular perception, something's wrong with you. Well, nothing's wrong with you about saying, hey, uh, everyone has to have restraint. Be cool about this. You know, they don't understand the phrase, be cool, man. You know, that's not cool. What are you doing? Chill. But they don't get it. They've got gangster hip-hop rap video that is spread around the world because you've got a lot of young males who see no masculinity and they want to see it. And gangster hip-hop video puts out an image that looks strongly masculine when it's not. See, what you see in a gangster 
rap video is female ideation. You've got street cred, somebody that's never seen a real man before. He is ideating on the value system of his favorite 13-year-old aunt when he was nine years old, and he heard her talk about drugs, thievery, wrongdoing, and finding somebody the opposite sex to live off of. Young man, if the court's disposed to place you on probation, would you please advise the court as to how you're going to sustain yourself? Huh? Well, how are you going to earn a living? Yo, Yon, it's like this. I got four ladies take good care of me. Two of them got good J-O-Bs. One get a crazy check, and the other one get AFDC. They take care of me. Okay, so you ideate about being a gigolo. What do you do? Huh? I smooth them. No, what do you do? See, and that's not masculine ideation. That is the feminine stuff. Now, back in the mid-'70s, I used to run the public defender's office in Memphis. And I would go out and interview a lot of the defendants who were too lazy, even though they didn't have a job, to take the bus go downtown to see the lawyer. And I'd walk into a kitchen in the projects, and there are the following people, two 13-year-old females, a 15-year-old, two 16-year-olds, a 19-year-old, and a 20-year-old. The 19-year-old is the client. And there are about 15 young children from three to seven or eight. The older ones should have been in school, but they weren't. They smelled bad because they hadn't had a bath in a long time. Dried food all over their clothes, mucus all over their faces. They hadn't been wiped and washed in a while. And uh, my client and her friend girls are cussing at them, using the N-word, go get me my cigarettes, get me a beer, and you just like you're no good damn daddy, blah, 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 blah. And I'd say, why are you talking to your child like that? What's the matter with you? Well, he ain't nothing but so-and-so and so. And then I got a shock then when I said, well, why are you in here? You're only 13. I'm trying to have a conference with, well, she, she can stay and get your boy off the back there. And I said, that's your child. So the two 13-year-olds had three of the children that were running around out of control. That They were theirs. I was used to seeing something like that where it's an aunt trying to act like she's playing mama, not the 13-year-old being the real mama. Now, fast forward some years, um, Got a seven, eight-year-old, and it's 1976. Let's go to 1986. He's uh, 17 now. All right, 1996, he's 27. 2006, he's 37. 2016, he's 47. And he's going on 50-ish something now. You see, so... You've got this long generational thing of dysfunction. Back up a few years. 
uh, ma'am, you're here as a witness for the defendant, so-and-so-and-so, and, so and, so, and his petition to suspend sentence. Is that correct? Aren't you familiar to the court for some reason? Yes, Yana. Well, how does the court have occasion to be having that recollection? Well, you were the public defender at the time, and you came to my house. I remember that. You lived in the projects over in Foot Homes, right? Yes, I did. What did the court tell you? Well, you said something was going to go wrong if I didn't change this. Now, this is your great-grandson we're dealing with here, but it's only been 25 years. How do you get great-grandson out of that? You know, and we were talking about some kid that wasn't but, what, seven? That's right, Your Honor. So what in... You know, it's like this dysfunction is just bad. Now, excuse me, would you say that again to the court? You're here to speak on behalf of this individual for sentencing. He's got an especially aggravated rape case because he impregnated a 13-year-old, 12-year-old, and... You say you invited him into your house? What's going on? Well, my friend girls were telling me that I got a grown woman in my house. There ain't no reason why we ain't getting another check for that. So you took this 27-year-old wow. and moved him into your house to knock your 12-year-old daughter up. Well, we needed the check. Wow. That's a business model. Take her wow. into custody. No bond on being an accessory to especially aggravated rape. Wow. So, so, so here's my here's my challenge where I'm at. I've, I've been listening to you for an hour, and I can listen to you for three more three more hours. I got four questions here for you based on what you just said. On this one here, this specific story, let's uh, isolate this one here. This to me is a this wouldn't happen if the incentives we had in America didn't incentivize her friends to tell her, "You got a woman here that can get pregnant at 12, 13 years old that you can get a check." That's a business model. That's the doing of bad policies that FDR and LBJ created that caused single mothers in America to increase from 1940 when it was only 4% to now 40%. And by the way, it's if worse you can pull than 40%. Up, no, it's 40% it's nationwide, not, not the different sex. Can you pull up the chart that says by different nationalities, Rob? Not this one. We'll go to that one as well. That's fantastic. Uh, go to the one you just showed. First one. So this is where we were at before, 4%. Growth of unwed childbearing in U.S. from 29 to 13. It's always been around 4%. You got FDR does this thing. Doesn't move a lot. LBJ 65 does war on poverty begins. Boom, skyrockets to 41%. Uh -huh. Now go to the other one, Rob, that you got. The one I texted you that shows uh, that one uh, right there. That one if you can. Zoom in a little bit if you could. This is from CDC. Non-marital births in U.S., Non-marital, okay, there you go, fantastic, thank you. Okay, so if you look at this, whites, it's red, so go to the left on uh, red in 1940, it's around 3%, that's come up, right, to where it's at now. 20% or so. 20% or so. If you go to blacks, it used to be around 15, 17% in 1940, that's come up to 70 plus percent in America, and look at the skyrocketing on when it happens. 1965, just goes straight to 65. Damn. Boom! Wow. Skyrocket. I, I don't so, have any problem with that. I think it's conservative, actually. There are some papers that the Pentagon issued in 2011 that have some higher figures in that. 
They said one of our problems with recruitment is we can make you physically strong, but we can't make you mentally tough because you need fathers in the home place in order to make you mentally tough. We are not getting that. They said right now all races considered in the United States, 42% of the Americans 35 and under were born out of wedlock. That's what they were saying uh, 20, that's 12 years ago. They also said that when you came to those 20 and under, it was 82% of the people in the country were born out of wedlock. So the Pentagon's figures are higher than that. Watch this now. Go to the other chart that shows the amount of money we invested to fight poverty. So go to the left, the blue versus the red. The blue is percentage of individuals who were poor by the official poverty standard. Go to 1947 all the way to the left. You'll see around 35%. Okay? So FDR comes out with his plans trying to minimize poverty in America. The red, if you look at the top right, total mean-tested welfare spending in billions of constant $2012. Okay? You notice the red up until 1965. It's not that big of an investment, but the poverty is coming lower and lower from 30. This is after depression, so we go from 35% to 25% to 15%. We come down to 10%. But the cost skyrockets after LBJ goes higher and higher and higher. And guess what happens to poverty? It stays around the 12, 13, 14, 15% rate. But the amount of money now that we owe and that we're spending, taxpayers are paying for this a plan that never worked. We had 60 years of data to show us it's a failed proposition. And what community did LBJ destroy the most? The African-American community. Yep. Yeah. This is when, when you look at policies, and, and the reason why I bring this up with you is because when I listen to you for the first hour, I had nothing to say. I'm just listening to you. I'm watching you, watching you. And I watch, I've consumed so much of your content. Just listen to what you have to say. A lot of logic, a lot of reason. You're challenging, you're pushing, you're kicking ass, you're you're, you're challenging the young to get their act together. You're challenging men. You're not holding all the accountability on men. You're putting it on women as well. Who told you to get pregnant? That was your choice. It's not only the man that did it. Why did you do it? But to me, at the most basic level that we as America can control, I can't control if somebody's going to be, the DNA don't tell no lies about what's in between your thighs, right? I can't control science. <laughs> you like that one. Yeah. I love it. I can't control science. I can't control what people are going to do. But what I can control as an American voter and somebody that wants better policies is the incentives need to be eliminated to pay welfare and child support for people to continue to have kids because what's happening is moms are being incentivized to allow their daughters to get raped because of these policies. If the law is true that under 18 it is rape, mothers, because of the tax system, are allowing their daughters to get raped by grown men just to get a check. And that, to me, is a catastrophe. And the fact that our politicians and leaders are not talking about it, it irritates me like you don't even know. So for me, those who have already screwed up those kids' lives, that's permanent damage. That ain't going away. You know how it is when damage is I have damage in a different way. I lived in Iran for 10 years. You have damage in a different way. Boys in the Hood, you said when you grew up, that was your life. That's there where you were at. Is. Yeah, so, but, but moving forward, if we don't get our act together, this shit's going to continue. And some innocent kids, today, while they're watching the show, some innocent kids are being taken advantage of by grown men. Yeah, and let me tell you something else, too. It's gotten so bad about the emasculation, there's another stat in there that's crazy. 25 and under, there are more boy virgins than there are girl virgins in America. Boys ain't even getting laid. 
Yeah, one third of all men under thirty have not been laid in the last year. Don't know how to get a piece of ass. From you guys. <laughs> you know, it's like damn. Me and you I should mean, go get the club. Seriously, seriously. I mean, I'm not on the bench. I ain't running for anything right now. But uh, <laughs> look here. Too old anyway. Look here. This problem with emasculation has gotten out of hand because 50% of the human race is one gender and the other 50% over here. And the fakes, you know, that's not even half a percentage point, but... Uh, you got to understand that there's an equality of value, but there's not an equality of circumstance. There's some things women can do that men don't do so well and vice versa. You know that emblem for yin-yang where they've got the white raindrop over here. Women can do a little bit. Men do a lot here and vice versa. That's a reality. The yin-yang. Yeah, but people don't want to deal with that. And what's going on is when you start trying to subtract half of the human race from the equation, you get hell. It doesn't work. Uh, this feminist thing is crazy. Um, my motto is protecting womanhood and promoting manhood. So that works. But when you start saying we're going to destroy manhood, you got a problem. When you have a 50-year history of take your daughter to work week as an official event and not one single day to take your son to work, you have a problem. We have something else going on right now. And this comes from the Pentagon and other sources too. Right now, for the last 20-some years of this century, on average, only 28% of each year's high school graduates are male. Only 32% of each year's undergrad crop is male. Only 36% of the grad students are male. And only 44% of the workforce is male. Something has gone way damn wrong with that picture. And you have this continued emphasis, especially from the uh, Democratic Party, about Female this, female that, this, that, other. We got to go recruit this. And, and, like, what is happening with the boys? And the last I checked, the girls aren't doing the drive-bys. See, when you get the clowns shooting up the schools and everybody wants to say, it's a gun, oh, my God. No, you can do somebody in with a rock. I've been taking martial arts for 55 years, and I'll kill you with my bare hands, and there's a bunch of lethal weaponry around here. I see a lot of it I take you out on. Even the books. Remember John Wick, <laughs> episode three? You can do that with the books. So, I mean, there's character, and people have to get back to there is no substitute for building character. You have children, and you don't know what to do with them. You don't know how to raise them. It's just like training puppies. If you take people puppies or dog puppies and you don't know what to do with them, they grow up to be unruly adults. So you have to be able to handle what you have. But we don't want to put that out there because, oh, my God, somebody may be infringing on what somebody wants to do. And, oh, we have to get rid of guilt and shame. Guilt and shame are good. They're self-control devices. Put somebody in a condition of shame. Hey, that's crazy. 
But then again, people aren't used to this either anymore. The churches, the mosques, the synagogues, nobody talks about sin. It's all about belief. So You believe you get to heaven or paradise or whatever, not behave correctly because that's difficult. That requires work. You got to forbear on something. No, I'm going to hold off on that. Instant gratification. Uh, inquiring minds want to know right now, you know, we get the press pushing in on this. We get people unable to resist development or something. Hey, you don't get this overnight. You have to work at this. It doesn't come automatically. You'll go out and spend a lot of time in a gym trying to get buffed. What for? You don't know because you don't have a damn job where you need it. But you're just working around trying to look pretty about it. Even the girls do this nowadays. But nobody understands the correlation between work out and work anymore unless you happen to be a professional athlete or somebody that aspires to be one. Um, what, what have you put in people's heads about heroics? There are no American heroes now. You have uh, Hollywood heroes, but they're just fake. They aren't going out and charging a machine gun nest or going and rescuing a hostage for real. That's play. That's a script. That's special effects. Uh, you get the real live war heroes, and we treat them like they're shit. When they get back here, nobody wants to be bothered with it. You got a situation where our damn fool military is spending more money cutting dicks off than they are in buying mine-proof vehicles. <laughs> Just look at Vinny. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you take a rhino vehicle, uh, mine-proof vehicle, aside from the fact that the damn thing's 11 feet tall and makes a hell of a tank target, with a peer enemy, um, about half million dollars unequipped. But by the time you cut somebody's dick off on a six-year sentence of which he spends four years getting operations and rehabilitation, you have lost the price of two fully equipped rhinos, which would have six people to 11 people per vehicle. That's 12 to 22 young Americans that are risking mutilation and death because somebody wanted their dick cut off. You know, what the hell is that about? And I'm sorry, I got to talk about it. That's just crazy. We do not need to be pushing that, and that's another one of these things about what happened to building character. You're supposed to be in the home place, but it's not, but it's supposed to be reinforced by society, which it's not. It's supposed to be something that gets caught in school, which it is not. It's supposed to be taught in the religious institutions, which it is not. And so what the devil is going on? The rest of the world is being character uh, developed. We are not. Look at what happened two weeks ago. All the publications dealing with economics were noting that China is now officially the wealthiest nation in the world. They stabilize all of the world's currencies, all of the world's stock exchanges. They have the fastest computer system in the world. They've got 80% of the world's manufacturing capacity. Uh, hell, why, new, why learn English now? You might as well learn Mandarin Chinese if you want to deal with what's going on. So we're giving that up. 
We're just like Great Britain was 100 years ago. They got a fit. I say, you know, it's just not spudding, you know. And nowadays, they're a third world country. Every one of their former colonies, Pakistan, India, are militarily more powerful. Australia, Canada, you name it. They've got nukes, and they've got some crazy James Bond types, but that doesn't really make up for the fact we're on that same kind of slide. How did that happen, though? You you given the stat because uh, the number was where, I, I, I can pull it up, whether it was 80s or the 90s, where they went from being 86% Brits to now only 38% Brits because they've taken so many refugees and they've taken so many immigrants coming in that they're losing the identity of what it once was. Damn it, I've been paying 30 years worth of my life to try and deal with making the law work. And then you sit here and you award people for criminality, sneaking into the country, and you're expediting green cards, and you're giving them subsidies, and you got a huge homeless problem, no character in your own public. What the hell is going on here? I'm all for immigration if it's legal. Come in the right way. Follow the damn law. I was here with my now ex-wife some years ago in Miami airport, and I remember somebody, based on the prompting of somebody that worked for security, TSA there, they just happened to be evil. They told them to walk up some stairs to the side when you come in. I know my wife knew uh, that you don't go up there, but they told them to go up there. It was a young couple, white couple, wound up when the alarm went off. The guy got thrown uh, up against the wall, elbow to the back of the neck. They threw him there. The young girl got thrown down on the ground. Her sundress flipped up. She had a thong on and a bare ass is showing everybody. Uh, I mean, they really ran through the make on her. So you treat American citizens like shit if they look like they're going to do an infraction. And then you say, come right on in. What the hell? You know, ISIS and Al-Qaeda are probably drooling at the idea. So what are we supposed to do with this? How, how much of this you think is affirmations, language, words, hero-making machine, meaning? You're, you're not a, uh, uh, you know, uh, certain words that is used by different communities. You're not a fan of it because... You don't seem to be a fan of it because I'm not. words have a lot of power, right? So if I'm listening to affirmations and it's okay if you want to be a girl, it's okay if you want to be a boy. Maybe you're a boy stuck in a girl's body. Maybe you're a girl stuck in a boy's body. You don't have to tell your parents. It's okay. You're different. It's t totally fine, honey. It's okay, sweetheart. All these words that are being fed over and over and over, words have power. How much of the consequence of where we are today is these affirming words being heard from social, from mainstream, from education, from teachers. How much impact do you think these words have had on kids? A whole hell of a lot. We used to spend a lot of our time recreationally doing what we call running the dozens. Hey, man, I want to say nothing, man, but your mama, man, I was by there last night, man. <laughs> I didn't mean it, et cetera, et cetera. That used to be fun, see, but we used to get on other folk, uh, like, what's wrong with you, man? You some kind of freak, man? <laughs> hey, what's the matter with you? But, oh, my God, 
They shamed someone. The police need to be involved. You're talking about somebody eight years old. You want the police to come down because an eight-year-old made another one feel bad? Hell, they need to learn how to deal with a bully situation. Oh, my God, we can't have that. We must bring in the faculty and the students. You have to be protected by the police. They're only seven years old, for goodness sakes. Beat somebody's ass and learn how to deal with manning up. Learn how to fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to the future. Remember McFly went back, taught his dad oh, yeah, how yeah. to deal with it. He knocked Biff out, and when he comes back, Biff works for him instead of bullying him. They forget that. I mean, and all these freaks that are shooting up the hallways, they all universally had a problem with the bullying. They didn't know how to deal with it, and they got taught it was all right not learning. There's something about screwing up your character and saying, man, this dude is big. I might get whipped, but what the hell? Bam! You know, okay. And at least he knows with a busted lip, Neptune, next time it's going to cost him. So you screwed up your courage. You feel, yeah, that's all right. (laughs) I got a black eye, but hell, I stood up. You feel better about yourself for the rest of your life, and you keep doing that. This little sissification of the country is ridiculous. It goes absolutely nowhere, and you've got... Girled up fools masquerading as men in the hood, shooting that up. And you've got girled up fools that don't know how to be men shooting up the hallways. So you want to control the violence in the society? You teach masculinity because masculinity imposes on the boy as he grows up this something he can't escape from where he feels massive guilt and shame if he cannot act in a masculine fashion, which is you don't do this at the wrong time, wrong place. You have perspective. You do not beat on women. You do not shoot your neighborhood up. You do not kill your neighbors. You do not poison them. You don't rape them. You don't rob them. You don't burglarize them. You don't sell poison to them. What the hell's the matter with you? You see, when you take this out of the equation where you get rid of character, then you got a problem. But you see, character requires restraint, application, dedication. It requires something where you got to go work at it. But you see, everything's supposed to be handed to you. Oh, my God, I want this so badly. Well, it's not just a courtesy. Here, you're entitled to it. Uh, You don't have to do anything about anything to get this. It's all supposed to be yours. This welfare state thing you're talking about, that leads in, which goes back to another thing. I could become a Republican if they did a few things these days to get their acts together, stop punking out and trying to go fly over here where you're going to try to please the people that ain't going to do shit for you except get you to lose what you got going. You have boss Trump there who somebody is looking at is saying, I like that guy because he stands up. I don't care if he's wrong or right. He stands up. What the hell? Somebody needs to do it. Talk back to these idiots. I don't care if he sounds like he is being crude. I want to hear that every now and then. You know, I cuss when I get in the locker room or around my homies or around my friends, whatever. So what the devil? This is reality. So let's get some more like that and stop trying to get into we have to distance ourselves from what the hell has she got going? 
you see. You got a good policy, but nobody wants to hear that because you've been part of this thing where everybody's supposed to have five-second sound bites, 15-second sound bites, and something somebody spent 27 years trying to learn, reading a whole lot of books and doing a lot of research is supposed to be condensed to 15 seconds. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have today blah, 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 and then they don't give you the news. They give you an editorial. I remember when news used to be a public service thing until CNN screwed it up 35 years ago when it became 24-7. After they got rid of the first Gulf War, there wasn't that much news, and you had idiots around. Chuck, what do you think's going on here? I don't know, Earl. Maybe what we have is... <laughs> Maybe there are some uh, suspects in that cabin that's burning. Everybody's looking at the goddamn thing smoking. Mm -hmm. You're looking at the same thing. Well, Chuck, what if it was so-and-so? Tommy, what do you think? Well, I don't really know, but maybe it's a... God damn it, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what the hell happens. You know, damn. <laughs> What's wrong with you? That's a goddamn burnt cabin, okay? Now, you don't know anything more than I do, so shut up. I don't want to hear you speculating on this crap. <laughs> it used to be, uh, and that's the news for today. You've got 12 minutes to interrupt an ordinary program. We'll be back to if there are any new developments. Let's get back to that. I don't want to hear this shit. And now You're we're going to with weather. Yeah. Yes. And so, Judge, how do you feel now that, you know, uh, with all you know, the podcasts and you know, X, all these different platforms that we can hear the news. Do you think it's a breath of fresh air? Because now all the mainstream media companies are going down. All CNN is is losing viewership by the minute. Fox is you know not doing well. All their you know Tucker Carlson leaves and goes to X and has a massive viewing. How do you feel about the fact that now we can actually hear the news and not have it censored? I like that. The other thing too is news isn't necessarily nice. And see, that's the effeminization. I want happy news. Well, God damn it, go read a comic book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wouldn't be news if it was nice hell. You, you think know? that's one of the reasons, Judge, why Trump was such, well, is still such a shock to them and to the system? Because like you said, Judge, he don't give a shit. He's from day one, from videos that I remember as a kid from the late 80s and 90s, he was pro-America. He just didn't, he didn't give a damn until he became president, then it's like, you know, he's racist and all that crap. But he was that alpha male, not giving a shit, non-apologetic. And he came into a system that did not like that yeah, at all. Yeah. See, racism is a form of xenophobia, not one to embrace the unfamiliar. Every single human I have encountered has had something negative to say about somebody. That's natural. You try to act like you don't, you a goddamn liar, because you, unless you a saint, maybe you're up in the Vatican or something, and I don't even buy that. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. We all got so, negative yeah. stuff to tell. Like Adam's an yeah. asshole. We all know that. So, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> bottom line is, is, okay, I remember back in the early 90s, Trump used to go into the nightclubs with no security <laughs> and hang yep. with everybody. Yeah. Yep. He was liking black girls too. Yeah. He loved everybody. Uh, I mean, yeah, so I don't have any problems with him. Hell no. Uh, well, look what he did with uh, uh, Central Park Five. Yeah, well, one of them's daddy brought him down to confess and implicated the other four, and they confessed. What the hell? It was some pretty horrible criminal activity that went on. Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah, people would talk about that. I see all of the folk right now, oh, it's just so hot. Well, what the hell did you just get through saying about this? Huh? Well, you said it. You talking about how horrible it was. Look what you claim it did to George Floyd. Now, supposing it came out another kind of way, you know, bottom line. So he just did what you did. So what's the problem? You can't look in the mirror. You know, you got minoxima or whatever in the hell they put on these days. It didn't work. And you got complexion problem. You know, you don't want to see yourself. And then, I, then, then the other one is objectification of beauty is horrible. No, it ain't. If we didn't objectify beauty, we'd still be looking something like a chimpanzee or Hitler's <laughs> hell. Thanks. Rob, can you pull up that clip when Trump and Trump is talking to the lawyer and says, "Like she was on my tab, like you, you." To be honest with you, I would never date you. You're He's not brutally you, honest. Pat. Have you heard him say y'all one hundred in the yeah, deposition? Yeah. yeah, in the deposition. But but I want to ask this question from you. So as a person who is a uh, is this the one where he says that? If it is, you go ahead and play that. You say Marla's in this photo? That's Marla, yeah. That's that's my wife. Which woman are you pointing to? No. Here. Tara. Oh, is that? The oh, person okay. you just pointed to was oh, Eugene Carroll. Who is that? Who is this? Point. She's not my type, and that's 100% true. She's not my type. And, and, and he continues to say, you're not you. my type. Yeah, yeah, but, neither are you. But if you can find that, Rob. But, you know. Uh, uh, that's as, reality. As, yeah, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. So. But you as a, as a judge, right, you've been in this system for a long time, right? Yeah, it is. So 91 <laughs> counts, 91, and they're trying to take him down. And lawyers and Letitia, you know, you know what's going on in New York, all this stuff. From somebody that's been in the space, how much of this is valid of what they're doing? How much well, of it is just me, absolutely justice getting bullshit. involved? <laughs> You're saying it's bullshit? No, how much of it is bullshit? How much of it is bullshit? Let me yes. just give you a real quick analysis. Okay, let's take what's going on with uh, Stormy Daniels. He supposedly bribed Stormy Daniels to uh, remain quiet and not embarrass him. Well, obviously, Bragg, the prosecutor, didn't pay attention in the first year of law school when he would have been taught to flip the script. If you have to pay somebody... To not embarrass you, you got blackmail. That's a felony. So somebody got indicted for being the victim of a felony blackmail <laughs> effort. All right, let's say the corporation got indicted for not accurately reporting on their forms, which are public record, why they paid Stormy Daniels what they did. Well, there was a gag order in there. Uh, nobody was supposed to tell, so if the corporation had told, they would have violated the uh, confidentiality aspect of the settlement. All right, let's get down here where we're talking about the boxes of documents. The case is United States Department of Navy versus Egan, E-G-A-N, 1988. There are a number of concurring opinions, and when you take all of them, you say to yourself, oh, the Supreme Court is saying that since the president is commander-in-chief of the armed services and also chief diplomat for the United States under the Constitution, he has absolute authority and discretion to classify or declassify any document he wishes in any form, shape, or fashion he chooses 
partially or totally, and also Marbury versus Madison. Oh, that was 1803. What is that? 220 years ago, it says that if Congress passes a law that is unconstitutional, it has no force and effect. So what we have is a set of laws Congress passed that impugned the president's constitutional power so they would have no effect. So the bottom line is, is if he removes the documents from the White House, then he has de facto declassified them in one sense, in any form, shape, or fashion he chose. So what happens is the White House was guarded by the Secret Service. Malargo was guarded by the Secret Service. So what the hell is the difference? He doesn't turn it over to the archivist. Well, Marbury versus Madison would suggest that the law that required that he do that was unconstitutional, as impugning his constitutional power and authority. And it may be that certain of the things in these documents were incriminating to certain persons who, if they got their little grubbies on them, would try to destroy the records. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, let's talk about something else that's associated. Since I've actually read the downloaded transcripts of the three laptops Hunter Biden left, it was three, not one, and there is clear discussion in these emails between the vice president and his crackhead son about taking your guys by the place and looking at the box behind the vets. And there are 42 apparent visits where they go to see what's behind the vet, and the vice president is not protected by that constitutional authority. And since Congress decided to go after boss Trump after he was no longer president, and they set the precedent for being able to go after the former vice president for what he did then, and I would suggest under Article 2, Section 4, that is adequate grounds for impeachment, which they did not have when they went after Trump either time. They did not cite in their articles anything that was constitutionally permissible to consider. Now, Let's get back to what's going on in Georgia. Now, I won't talk about the lady too badly since she's the daughter of a good, close, personal friend I went to law school with who used to be a militant, but I won't talk about him or his daughter. But let's just say uh, when I downloaded the 92-page indictment, one of the several things that stuck in my mind was counts that wanted to make it a felony for Trump to advocate to his followers to read or view Newsmax. Now, when in the hell in America did it become a crime to <laughs> somebody read the news, news somewhere else? Okay, yeah. So we get on with these kind of things. And this civil thing here in New York— uh, that they're going on now, I think, is a complete farce because there is one big phrase that's been left out of here. Quote, business practices, unquote. The business practice that is clear from all the testimony is that the banks and the financial institutions were aware of the way people assess items. They did not lose any money on it. 
They knew what to expect. It was as per the industry. It was a business practice, and the stupid idiots that's the prosecuting authority up there don't seem to be aware of that, and I submit that's because in law school they didn't pay attention. Business practices, and they should have been, should have been dealing with all the crooks running around New York instead of trying to say, I'm going to protect America from this evil... Baba Yaga, and we're going to go try and deprive the country. Now, if you want a constitutional crisis, put it with 50%, 40%, or 30%, whatever the public saying. What the hell do they think they're doing? I wanted to vote for the man. Now these clowns are trying to keep me from getting the chance to cast my vote. What the hell? That's illegal. That brings back this thing of you want January 6th to really be shown how insignificant it was. Whoa, let's go there. But then let's get back to January 6th. He supposedly told Pence, don't sign this, okay? The Confidence of Elections Act of 1877, which is still good law, was next on the docket to be considered when Pelosi declared an emergency. What does it say? It says the vice president of the United States shall not certify the purported electoral college results when there is evidence of a lack of public confidence in the validity or et cetera, et cetera, the proceeds. So said president, vice president, shall call upon Congress to appoint a 15-man committee, five from the House, five from the Senate, five from the U.S. Supreme Court. Over these proceedings, the chief justice shall preside, wherein they shall conduct an independent audit of the election uh, results, taking at least 10 days or as long thereafter as is necessary. Hell, he was calling on the man to follow the damn law. It's still on the books. Now, you indict somebody for following the law because you're a stupid jerk who didn't pay any damn attention in law school. First year. <laughs> do you think it sticks, Judge, what they're, what they're trying to do with all these cases? Does it, does it stick to make him unrunnable? No, I, I think it's motivating people. Hell, if I didn't like him, I'd be prone to say, hell, you're going to dump on somebody like that? Maybe I need to find out why they're so scared of him because I don't like the people that are acting that way. They act like assholes. What the hell's going on? And see, I've been looking at this for 50 years. Counselor, approach the bench. State, approach. What? Madam court reporter, please turn the record. What the <laughs> hell do you think you're doing in here? <laughs> Sir, do you think there's one charge that stands out above all the charges that may hold him culpable in law? Is there one thing that sticks out? I don't think there's one that actually would stick if it went up to an appellate court. I don't see anything he's done wrong. Even if you take everything the state or the government, federal government, and states and federal government are alleging, it's subject to what in old law used to be a demurrer. Uh, Your Honor, uh, defense moves for dismissal on the basis of a demurrer to wit, even if everything the prosecution is claiming is in fact true, it doesn't state a crime. So there's where you go with that. And the other thing is it's just absolutely intolerable for these folk to try to lapse back to 1932 and impose the methodology of the National Socialist Workers Party. 
the German acronym for National Socialist Workers Party is N-A-Z-I, Nazi. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're trying to thwart the will of the American public, and that's why we have the Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments, to keep that from happening. You do not want to use the prosecutorial power of the state for political purposes to oppress, repress, intrude in, or unduly influence the will of the people. Is there any precedent for any sort of countersuing for election interference that Trump can do? Uh, he might, and see, one of the prospects I thought about is somebody hot shot in the House that's now under Republican control can simply call some hearings and call Trump as a witness as a technical whistleblower, and everything <laughs> he testifies to then becomes immune for prosecution. Because at this point, Judge, this is, this is election interference. He is the number one front runner for the Republican Party. All these charges are are, are a sham. That's and he's he's in trouble with all the January sixth and not trusting the electoral process. This is them actively cheating in front of our face. Exactly. In other words, wait a minute. What the hell is going on? I don't care what the devil you say Trump did. What are you doing? Yeah. And there you go, that lesser two evils. But let, let's get back to something. Let's take Memphis and Shelby County, for example. Uh, 19, in 2006, the Justice Department found that the voting machines, uh, former Debald voting machines, were hopelessly corrupted and that there was no fair election that could be had in Memphis and Shelby County, Tennessee. 2008, the Justice Department put up the money to replace every machine. That was from confiscated drug funds. Well, each year, each quarter thereafter, they gave an update, and it wasn't until November 2022 that Shelby County actually replaced those machines. So the interesting thing is, is in January when the Justice Department comes out with this bullshit thing about there was no discernible election fraud in the country, they turn right around the same damn week. They say in Shelby County, once again, there was no fair election, et cetera, et cetera, because of... Now, either you're telling the truth about there's no discernible election fraud in the country in January 2021, or you're lying when you turn around in the same damn week and say in the 14th largest city in the country there's election fraud. Now, which is it? Mm -hmm. You see, that looks like Orwellian doublespeak yeah, out of 1984. Yeah. It's crap. And by the way, the other thing, too, I would suggest if anybody wants to get a grip on what's going on, take a read of Orwell's Animal Farm, or if you're too lazy... Google it. There is an animal farm from 1952. It's an animation that the CIA put out that's almost word for word following Orwell's books. And essentially what happens is the animals have a revolution, take over a farm, throw the humans out, and they come up with an animal set of rights. All animals are equal, but the pigs uh, <laughs> correlate with the dogs. Very good book. And they start imposing a tyranny, and then they have a little modification. All animals are equal, but pigs are more equal than others. Yeah. Snowball. So, 
Yeah. So snowball. Yeah. I remember reading the book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so how, do you, how do you how do you feel about uh, the the prospects of a president Joe Biden or maybe if he doesn't run a president? I know you're a big fan of Kamala Harris or a Newsom or some of the others. So on the Democratic side, what what do you think is going to end up happening there? That's a disaster. Kamala Harris was used to hiking her hemline up when she wanted to get something done in California, but she can't handle the complexity. She's too damn lazy. She won't listen to her briefings and her staff. She embarrasses the hell out of the country when she does that hyena grin and giggle, and she starts, what do the Europeans call it, word salad? She yep. claims to be black, and that's a lie. I met her daddy one time down in Jamaica with my wife. We were guest of the governor general then, and he got introduced to us as everybody's favorite Hindu professor. Now, he has a grandmother. Rob, go to the picture to see what he, he looks like. He has a grandmother. That's him. He has a grandmother who is supposedly, according to him, a Hindu housekeeper. According to Kamala, that great-grandmother of hers is a black woman. But even if you took the picture through the complexion, she's not completely black. So in a lot of places in the United States, if you were only one-eighth black, that didn't make you black because that one-drop rule for most of the Confederate states wouldn't even apply. So what we have here is somebody who had no African ancestry who is just a Hindu of the Tamil group who happened to be a people that's very dark and swarthy is being perpetrated as being black. Now, when I had my show the first couple of years, there were a couple of very beautiful black women I thought worked for the show. Well, one of them said, you think I'm a black woman, don't you? I said, aren't you? She says, no, I'm a Hindu. She said, my mother was of the Brahmin caste. My father was of the warrior caste. He took an oath to protect my mother, but they fell in love. They went off and got and eloped, and we can't go back to India because... The family put out a death warrant on us or wow. a hit on us. So I said, wow. And then yeah, through her, I ran into, in fact, some books have been written on Hindus who cut their hair and passed for black to get to fellowships. Now, she's lying about something else. During her debates with uh, senile uh, Biden... <laughs> <laughs> when they were both running for president, she accused him of not understanding something, how when she was an elementary school student in San Francisco, she says she was one of those who had to be bust because of the integration plans. Well, she published some years ago her high school yearbook. And the high school yearbook from a Canadian high school says from kindergarten through 12th grade, she was a student in Canada. So what? she's either lying about that. Get out of here. And that's in her yearbook. Or she lied about being 
a student in the Bay Area. Now, my former in-laws were from the Bay Area, and it's interesting what goes on. My ex-wife, beautiful as she was, she was fine. Lord, she was fine. Expensive, but, you know, <laughs> whatever. Went broke hitting that California divorce for four and a half years. No prenup, but anyway. Oh, man, Judge. She was born Come in on, the Judge. same hospital as Come Kamala on, in the same year as Kamala. And my late mother-in-law, her mama, who was a Canadian citizen, uh, was a pediatrics nurse in that same hospital. Well, my ex needed a new birth certificate, so we ordered one, so I know what they look like. Well, Kamala's that she submitted to Howard University that got released while she was running for stuff in California. It's interesting. It says nationality of mother. It says British Commonwealth. It says... <laughs> Race of mother, it says Caucasian. It says religion of mother, it says Hindu. For father, it says nationality is blank. And then for race, it says Jamaican. So Jamaican is not a race. And I am personally acquainted with at least one blonde-haired, blue-eyed English aristocrat whose parents or peers in England, one's red-haired and gray-eyed, and the other one's blonde-haired, blue-eyed, and all three of them were born in Jamaica, and they're Jamaican citizens, and they can speak the patois as good as anybody else who's part of the Commonwealth. So you don't have to be of African descent to be born in Jamaica. And I've been there so many times that they... Judge Brown, you are Jamaican. You like to come to Jamaica, man. What a blood yeah. clot, boy. Hey, I, care. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You look like, man, you be down from St. Elizabeth Parish, man. So, Judge, what you're saying is if, she, if she's, if Kamala's, if, if you say actually she's just Indian, then that, that, uh, that status or that accomplishment of the first African vice president, it's still up for grabs. Bullshit. It's still up for grabs, though. Uh -huh. So somebody else could still get that spot. Yeah, yeah sure. It's same thing with Obama, the first black American. Well, yeah, technically, I guess. But uh, he has no mama, no daddy, no aunts, no uncles, no grandparents that went through the black experience in the United States of America. Now, I'm 76, but I can remember my mother used to be a librarian with Tuskegee Institute. Uh, I remember one time when I was five, we were driving from there during the summer to visit some of her relatives uh, in Jackson, Tennessee, and we made the mistake of starting off too early. In those days, if you were black, you traveled at night and slept during the day. It just wasn't safe. Uh, and anyhow, my old man had this olive green DeSoto. And my mother was fishing in the glove compartment, and she asked me sitting in the back to hold her Coke. So she loved her Cokes, Coca-Cola. So I've got the bottle sitting on my knee, and plunk, bottle shatters, and then I hear the gunshot. And there's coke all over my leg, and I'm looking at this bullet hole. My old man was 
decorated. He was at Bastogne in World War II. He was telling me about it. So I said, somebody shot at us. He said, I know. My mother said, son, just get out on the floor. She was calm. So I'm more worried about her getting mad at me because I broke her bottle of Coca-Cola. <laughs> you know? But anyway, see, Obama has nobody in his family that went through anything like that. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of crazy uh, what the problem is. I'll go to another one, uh, Birthgate. The Constitution of the United States defines citizenship in two places. One of them, he qualifies. All he has to have is an American parent. He can be born anywhere in the world. He's American citizen. The other one is a little bit more interesting. It but deals with running for president or vice president. You have to be born on American soil. State, territory, protectorate, military, naval base, consulate, or embassy. Bad news, Republican Party. Cruz does not qualify because he was bragging about being born in Canada. That disqualifies you. If you read the Federalist Papers, they tell you they don't want any sleepers sneaking in and taking control of the government, see? So you have to be born on American soil. Consulates and embassies have a lot of things where women rush to have their children there when they can't get back so they could qualify for that. We have a very interesting person everybody's heard of, Winston Churchill. He was an American citizen because his mother was from Chicago, an American <laughs> heiress, and his father was an English lord. Uh, he denounced, uh, renounced his citizenship so he could become Sir Winston uh, because America does not allow in noblemen under the Constitution. But he was an American citizen. That's one of the reasons he had such a fan club, but he couldn't run for American president because he wasn't born on American soil. Now, if you... There you go. It was just up there. If you are born in American Samoa, the Canal Zone, Puerto Rico, uh, you can run for president. But now here's the problem. Uh, Obama released a birth certificate when he was enrolled in college, and it lists on there the room number, the phone number of the pediatrician who did the... Uh, delivery, they noted his mother was 18 years, three months, which meant she got knocked up at 17. And she was a citizen of Canada, and it lists all of the details. The phone numbers were working ones, so that's one birth certificate. But he's in the White House for 18 months before he gets one from Hawaii. Now, the problem with that, I see, is two people that were on my show worked were worked on my show first couple of years were from Hawaii and they needed the passport uh, because they were going to take a trip. So I'm in my office in the headquarters for the show, and I made the phone call to the Department of Vital Statistics in Hawaii and had them expedite the delivery, and they got their birth certificates 
in 48 hours. So if I can do that back in 2000, to hell with the president of the United States taking 18 months to do it. Mm -hmm. See, I don't buy it. The other thing, too, is where he went to school. Now, 20-some years ago, more than 20, my now ex-wife wanted me to send my oldest son to one of the same places over there. In fact, the same place he went to school, and when I checked, I said, this boy has not earned this because the tuition, not including room and board, was $95,000 a year. And I talked to two people, one of whom worked out in Hollywood and one I met in Hawaii some time ago who bragged about going to school with Obama. And they said the tuition when they went there with him was 45000 a year, not including room and board. Little rich kid. So his father, Lolo Sotoro, was an interesting person. He was executive, international executive vice president for Standard Oil. He also, that guy on the left. Is this apparently Obama's father, you're saying? This is his adopted father who adopted him when he was about two years old. Now, he is an interesting person. He also was a major in the Indonesian Army from 58 to 1962 or 3, and he ran the death squad. So there was allegedly a warrant out for him from The Hague for mass murdering or being responsible for killing a half million people back in the late 50s when he ran the death squads. We studied this in comparative international law back in the late 60s. I remember that guy. I had no idea he was connected. But anyway, as vice president for Standard Oil, at the time in question, it was believed that Indonesia sat on the world's largest oil reserves. So Standard Oil wanted to get into that, but they couldn't under American law, so they propped up their vice president financially. He ran the death squads, had a lot of muscle, so he wound up becoming the oil tycoon for Indonesia. And when he died, he was one of the richest men on earth. Now, he supposedly died from the cumulative effects of three separate automobile accidents, which basically came from the fact he was a master spy. The U.S. protected him because at the time, He was running the spy operations for the CIA as a contractor in China, North Korea, North Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. And remember the noms going on at this point in time. George Herbert Walker Bush ran the CIA under the Ford administration, and George Herbert Walker Bush was cousin to his wife, Obama's mother, and Obama's mother's father, Obama's maternal grandmother, was first cousin to George Herbert Walker Bush. So the family relationship in there, they all had uh, fun and games from uh, Bush's experience with his uh, CIA connections when he ran the CIA and Lolo Sotoro and also through his second cousin who was married to him and also through 
the father-in-law to Sotoro, who was his first cousin. So it's an interesting little filial family relationship that they have. Now, Sir, does this all date back to the Sam Hinckley situation uh, the, that you yeah, brought up? Yeah, Sam Hinckley. So what, what the hell is going on here, by so, the way? He's, I mean, this is, I could sit here all day and I'd vote for him. He should run for president. So, one million percent. So here's the other thing. Want to get another one? Yeah. Brad Pitt is a cousin to these guys. Now, now we're Hollywood's involved. The CIA, so, president, uh, Oval Office. Warren Buffett is a cousin oh my to this God. bunch here. Well, they're connected, so this is a connection. Sam Hinckley had some sperm that had a cape. <laughs> in, <laughs> everyone had a cape, you but, know. Obama and Brad Pitt are cousins, ninth cousins to be precise yeah on the campaign trail last year it emerged that the two share a common ancestor edward hinkman who died in virginia is that part of the san hinkley family yeah, that comes what from the Hinkley. f so they're is all so basically right judge they're, they're all connected so no matter what these guys are they run the show yeah. and they're all connected you see this thing where michelle and george w get to giggling and he gets yeah. the candy what i hear from the inside sources is that same candy that he used huh. to give to her husband when he was a kid. Now, there's a picture I stumbled onto that you could Google, but you can't now. And when I ran into it, he was still in uh, uh, Illinois in the state house. And what that was about was there's a picture where Lolo Sotoro is standing up with a golf club, George W. Bush, Herbert Walker Bush, soon to be president of the United States is standing up with a golf club and then sitting in a golf cart with his arm around a seven or eight year old kid standing next to it is George W. Bush and the kid is uh, Lolo Sotoro's adopted kid Barry Sotoro soon to be Barack Obama. Wow. So, so are you saying that Obama met the Bushes when he was a kid? Yeah, they grew up together. They used to hang around Dude, together. Dude, that's wild. Like, what? That's wild. So, I mean, it ain't like this is just somebody they met in some White House ceremony. They, this is right. family. I got uh, one more for you, sir, since oh, you know Warren all this. Oh, Warren Buffett in there, too. He's one of them. You well. know how you said that you can't lie between what's in between your thighs? What do you know about Michelle Obama that we don't know? What have you I heard, don't Judge? No, but there's one picture you flashed up there that they have a copy of in the White House. Which uh, one? I did. My mind is full on blown right now. I love. My it. brains are against the wall. Which right which now. picture, Judge? There's one that's in the White House now. They attended a ceremony a couple of years ago. Where is it? I think I saw it in there. And who? Is this it's when the, Barack Obama? Yeah, and all of that. Barack Obama and Michelle. I don't know what she is. <laughs> Do you think but she's going to run, Judge? You I run hope for not. That's a waste. But I tell you one thing that I don't like about Barack Obama. There was an incident in Caprini Green, some projects, high-rise projects, now torn down in Chicago. There was an old lady in her 90s in a wheelchair and some gangsters broke into her apartment, and they had been raping and robbing women in these apartments. Now, she had a single-action Colt 45, a peacemaker, that her late husband, a cowboy, had left her. And she shot several of the people that had broken in. Well, she got prosecuted at the time under Chicago law for having an unregistered firearm. There was a special act 
in front of the Illinois state legislature to grant her immunity, and it was unanimous with one holdout, and that person was Barack Obama. Hmm. Wow. I didn't like him ever since then. Now, there's another guy that was the congressman from the district he ran for, uh, Bobby Rush, who was a former Black Panther, and I did get a chance to see the tape of that, and uh, Rush embarrassed the hell out of Obama, who knew absolutely nothing about the area he was running from. It was this thing he was representing a uh, real estate developer, the law firm was. Now, he comes from good Republican stock, Obama. The firm he and Michelle work for is one of the oldest Republican law firms in America. And in fact, they helped finance Abraham Lincoln's first run for president. So the toilet paper, I guess, has elephants printed on it, but, you know... Wipe your ass with the, the elephant, you know, I guess you're pretty committed. So interestingly enough, to show you Obama's fraud, the Heritage Foundation, which gets into stuff pretty deep, you've heard of them. All of course, right? yes. They do a report card every year on the representatives in the House and the Senate and they gave Obama two years running their third highest rating, a 96-plus percent. Second-place man got a little higher-plus percent, and the first one got 97 percent. Correct voting for conservative causes when he was a U.S. senator, which certainly doesn't fit his persona because he's an opportunist. He had the lowest voting record out of the 100 senators, but it is what it is, uh, so you don't know where the hell he's coming from, and I guess that's because of his family spy background. Spies aren't known for telling the truth. I mean, you'd get caught, damn, if you did. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of which, I want to get off into another thing. I just thought about it. This thing that Biden is talking about, it's a done deal for D.C. to get statehood. Now, I was born in Washington, D.C., disclaimer. So I guess I'm a native, but D.C. does not need a statehood. It's a relatively smaller, middle-sized American city, about 300-some thousand people. And if you want the citizens, the residents of what's now the District of Columbia to be able to get adequate voting representation in Congress, your solution is simply... Uh, to return it to Maryland and keep the Capitol Mall as the district where nobody lives except the president, vice president, so then they can get representation, they can vote in Congress because otherwise all you're doing is giving this 300,000-plus population city the clout of a state and when you go to dc right now they've gentrified the place and it's a rainbow city so that would give the cult the clout of a whole state for living in a medium-sized city which is inappropriate that's just the dodge but that's the poison on that to give them their vote, simply cede the damn district back to Maryland where it came from in the first damn place, and they can get representation, they can vote. Now, 
I just started throw that in. I have one last question for you. I know we got to wrap up. <laughs> we, What's it going to take for you to call yourself a Republican? Because I think I just became a conservative literally on this podcast. <laughs> Swear to God. Well, I could become a Republican if the people in charge start dealing with recognizing their opportunity. What the hell? Look at all the people out there that want an alternative who are family people who appreciate manhood, who appreciate duty, honor, obligation, character, being about something, earning your own damn way in life instead of whining about what's coming down on your shoulders. Yeah, it's 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 adversity, but you can go out and kick his ass, you know, yeah. and you can go Put back yeah, in the face man. real quick. Judge, no. I would vote if, if for some reason Trump can't run and everybody else falls out, I would vote for you one hundred percent. By the way, he's younger than Trump and Biden. I love it. Just to be clear. A couple of years. Yeah. I love it. I Judge Joe Brown, uh, this has been fantastic. I think next time we do it, I don't think two hours is enough. I honestly no, think we gotta go I three hours bring, next yeah, time. I'll bring a let's get some barbecue sauce, next food. And by the way, we may even do the next one live with an audience because I, I think the audience would, would love it as well. We'll do it at the comedy club. So, Dude. Judge O'Brown, thank you so much for. I do a little of that too. Oh, I love yeah. it. I would love it. Yeah, it's some British accent. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for coming out. Cannot wait to do this again next time. Is there, Rob, is there a website? Is there somewhere where people can. Is there anything you're working okay, on? Okay, here, audience? here. If you want to get me, I do X. It's at Judge Joe Brown TV. Following you right now. I do. There you go. Uh, let's see. Well, I don't know about more executive vanish in China, but I like that where <laughs> instead of getting from being crooks, instead of getting a $5 million book deal, then you get a wall <laughs> that you can prop up for a <laughs> brief while until you slide off. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Go give the judge a follow. Rob, Man put that link up. below. Now, give him a up. follow. Man and up. also for those RFK, I think. VIP and premier tickets are sold. There's some general tickets, I believe, left. December 6th, Town Hall with RFK 2 to 4. Uh, it happens to fall on the same day as the debate for GOP in Alabama, which means some huh. of the things he says that day could cause a little bit of, you know what I'm saying. For some of you guys that got VIP tickets, you'll get a chance to ask him questions as well. Text the word podcast to 310-340-1132. Again, 310-340-1132 or go to 5990live.com to register for the podcast. Two other things I have to mention. Uh, I do Monday and Thursday with The Real Dana. You can catch us on YouTube when they're not censoring us too badly. <laughs> and also we do a Twitter space on X uh, every Tuesday. And then locally... She's a fine young lady, Valerie Denise Jones. We do the Judge Joe Brown radio thing. It's syndicated. We do that on uh, Fridays. So you can check that out. And there don't you go. For, don't forget. Yes, Thank sir. you again. Don't. Take care, everybody. Bye. Barbecue bye, 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 bye. sauce. <laughs> don't forget the sauce.